Hey everyone, you're listening to another episode of Big Shiny Takes. I am one of your co-hosts, Eric Wickham, and I'm joined as always by my two wonderful co-hosts, uh, Marino Greco. Salutations, comrade. Salutations. And Jeremy Appel. Howdy. Yeehaw. I'm coming at you from uh, Calgary. Wow. It's almost stampede season. Cowtown, Alberta. That's what people in Calgary call it, I, I've been told. Yeah, um, it's like Hogtown for Toronto. Yes. But we're Cowtown. Yes, yes, yes. And we're joined by a very special guest this week. Uh, we have our Harbinger colleague, uh, the host of Darts and Letters, uh, Gordon Caddick. Gordon, welcome. Hello, hello. And uh, Dobra Don. We were just yes. talking about our, our Balkan roots, and I feel like I have to represent. But uh, thanks so much for having me. Oh, uh, Dobra Don. I'm <laughs> so excited. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is so much fun when you meet someone who's also from the Balkans, because then it just becomes like the thing that you talk about the next time you see them the funny thing about when you people in the balkans it's like how canadians will tell you like you know so and so did you know that they're canadian we will always claim whoever the balkan person is so we were just talking offline about slavoj zizek and how uh, proud we are of his slovenian heritage even though he's maybe a grifter but you know it brings a certain <laughs> yes. amount of pride to know that he's grifting everyone else and he's doing it kind of in our name and you know what he also put Jordan Peterson into a coma, which is like yeah. kind of impressive, right? Like you got to give it to him. Look, you know, it must be nice that you guys can get away with this kind of conduct. If I say like chow or coma style to anyone in a fucking Twitch chat, all this is going to be gabagool all over the place. Oh, this Marino guy, classic Italian, all in love with themselves. <laughs> the Italian hand emoji just 800 yeah, times. Exactly. Yeah. I, I keep lists of Jews. So if this is your first time listening and you don't know who I am, I am Jewish. Um, but like uh, Christy Freeland's grandfather, I keep listening to views. Just, I think probably um, a lot of uh, Croatian uh, ancestors probably did the same, unfortunately. We have a pretty checkered uh, yeah. uh, history when it comes to that. Yeah, that's it's what unites us. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to segue out of this bit. Oh yeah, let's just go on the lighter lighter subject of school shootings. By the way, guys, you picked a really good one for us to have some epic bants about. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah lots of bants in this episode. Don't um, you just hate it when you're shooting up a school? And... Okay, <laughs> all right, okay. Before we we talk about, you know, I mean, the thing that we came here to talk about, which is an absolutely atrocious column. I do feel like we should make note of the fact that. The provincial election Ontario uh, happens despite nobody really noticing it happening. If less than half people vote, was there really an election? I mean, that's like a philosophical um, question for our time. Yeah, well, if you check Twitter, um, depending on the account you're or the accounts you're following, it was either you know the worst thing ever or it was a great victory for the Ontario NDP, and they're ready to lead. What? Yeah, um, it's. I'm glad that you guys were not aware that there was an election because being in Bradford, I was painfully aware from every boomer and like truck driving. I hate Trudeau, dude, having a Carolyn Mulroney sign on their freaking lawn. Yeah. Oh, good lord. Her dad was to the left of Trudeau. <laughs> this Trudeau. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 
I didn't know about the election until I saw a front page star article by uh, Martin Cohen. Did you see that one that talked about how we need to vote because of Ukraine? Um, and, <laughs> and, uh, and I, I was so uninspired this time around, I didn't vote, which is kind of rare for me, but I think by, you know, process of deduction or whatever, that makes me a tanky. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that's right. You, you're it's not a... voting. So, so you support Putin. Is what, <laughs> exactly. what the fuck is the pro what, sorry. What is the province of Ontario going to do? about the situation in ukraine are they are we gonna send over timbits or something like no i think it was like democracy is so valuable look how the ukrainians uh, are fighting so why would you dare like be disaffected um that was kind of the, but, the... like they're they're repelling an invasion right they're not <laughs> right they're, they're not they're not um it's not like there was a coup or anything um but i mean i get you know i think i'm being a bit uncharitable of martin rag who is a dumbass incidentally. <laughs> um, uh, so I, I think i can be forgiven for that but yeah i mean the 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 liberal like the center left takes you know just going into this election everyone knew doug Ford was going to win so it's this battle for second place and just the 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 like level of delusion dripping from like the toronto star editorial page about how like you know that the uh that it was you know tom parkin this this fucking guy i, I want to talk about this guy for a second yeah he was a sun columnist for a while he was like their token ndp guy and i mean now like all right-wing media the sun's just not interested in other perspectives than like anthony furies or whomever and so I, I guess he read to the star now and um apparently it's all the pollsters fault because they told people that the liberals in NDP were essentially tied for second. Whereas if you look at seat counts, it was clearly uh, the NDP were clearly ahead. And it's like, like, what is wrong with you? Like, like no one thinks about this shit. Like, who, like, 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 wow that's so that's crazy the 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 pollsters reported polls based on popular opinion and not this like convoluted undemocratic system we have wow that that's why the ndp didn't win uh, otherwise everyone would have just voted for ndp and it's just like how do you get paid for this shit like <laughs> like wait wait jeremy are you telling me the ndp did not win that election because watching andrea horvath's victory speech where she abdicated leadership <laughs> you would have think they would have won they're like there was like a jovial tone at the beginning it was yeah so... it was like here here are all the things we accomplished together it's like you literally <laughs> did, haven't accomplished anything you're a loser like we were uh... watching it on, on stream and i was just like resign resign like every like she should have started with like obviously this isn't the result we want mm -hmm. and then she can talk about like the, the good memories she has or something but like yeah you know gaslighting's a term that's used way too frequently in politics but i mean the ndp does have a tendency to just gaslight its supporters and be like yes we're winning we're our losing mm. is actually winning and uh to the extent yeah. it's not it's because of the pollsters it's because of the voters it's right it's never <laughs> the fucking um you know pmcs who fucking run the show for the ndp hmm. especially in the provinces 
it's never their fault, right? It's always that uh, we failed them. They didn't fail us. So, so who do you guys think ate more shit, right? Because, like, the NDP, they lost a ton of votes, uh, I think, more, more than anyone. And they lost seats yeah. to the fucking conservatives. Um, like, it's a disaster. It's a tire fire. Uh, but at the same time, Del Duca being, like, un what designated for assignment the whole fucking party it doesn't even exist anymore and i guess they probably lost like their you know they're like parking spots and offices and everything and like i i, I relish that for sure del, del duca's concession speech though uh was to me the highlight of the night like we, we were like pissing ourselves watching it like that guy is not a human being and i don't even think he's like a lizard person because like he ha like lizard people are like more powerful right? he, he he reminded me a lot of the character purred happily from parks and Re recreation his cadence he would be like i am going to make a point and that point is this very like 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 means testing come to life they put they picked the most liberal candidate possible and ate shit for that i to answer gordon's question i think relative to the success that they had in last election ndp ate more shit because they, they were handed a bit of a low ball and they had the the party position to like really offer some more compelling progressive options and maybe like you know free dental in two years uh and uh, i don't know and the, the libs just remained uh flat yeah i mean if I can make an off the board pick, I feel like the people who ate the most shit were everybody who has to live in this province, mm. right? Like we had a record low turnout for this provincial election and that entirely had to do with the fact that there were three completely unappetizing options, right? No party had a good platform. No party had a, a strong leader. No one really had a reason to vote. I voted at an obligation because I didn't want my MPP to lose her seat. Um, but, Who's your MPP? Uh, Jessica Bell. But like the the point I was I was trying to make is that when you can win the election by hiding until the election happens, oh my God. and like that's the thing that like wins you the most amount of seats. Uh, the other options on the table were objectively shit and uh we need better political parties in this province i was just gonna say i mean i, I said this on on andre's uh harbinger show but i gotta say that the uh campaign ads for uh doug ford and the fucking epic like stadium rock anthem thing that they played like a kind of pavlov's dog bell in every single ad just like i think it trained us all you know we all we all now it's time to yeah. get it done seriously <laughs> like they won they won on get her done yeah i mean that that he's the get her done candidate and no one else was offering anything compelling i'm sorry marina yeah no, no no it's okay i'm just gonna say yeah no they they won on vibes i forget who mentioned it at the at our stream but someone mentioned that like people vote on vibes and like andrea horvath sounds like a like stern teacher that you don't like and mm -hmm. del duca sounds like a, a robot for the people who cared enough to go out and vote that that's all it took and like yeah i, w I wanted to say the ndp would have been an objective step in the right direction even with their relatively uh tame policy but uh yeah just like do more no one addressed the pain that normal canadians are feeling yeah and um fortunately the alberta ndp have uh learned 
lessons from what happened in Ontario. <laughs> and um, they are um, running on a campaign to uh, continue drilling tar sands oil for 20 years. Um, so um, they're going to win and the plant's going to be destroyed. But at least it was a progressive government that was pulling <laughs> into destroying the plant. They, 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 they sort of, rather than just repeating uh, Ezra Levant's ethical oil talking points verbatim, uh, they paraphrase them in a polite way, right? Because, look, people are just going to be using oil, so it might as well be <laughs> our fucking filthy oil, which is, you know, and, and that's, you know, I, you know, people are going to be murdering people, right? So it's better that I do it. In, you know in a righteous manner because <laughs> i'll be nice I'll, I'll, I'll like you know take person out for a drink and then just like you know slip them uh slip them a mickey as they say you know no blood no guts and you, i mean otherwise someone else is gonna i mean it's like the settlers in, in palestine right who are kicking palestinians out of their homes and there's that video of that guy who's like well if i don't steal it someone else is just going to come and steal it, right? It's ex the exact same, like, mentality. I just don't get it. I mean, who runs these goddamn parties, like these NDPs, especially uh, provincially? Like, they just seem... Like, are these basically, like, PMC consultant class, like, former DNC losers that essentially are taking over the, the like, ostensibly social democratic wing of Canadian politics? I mean, that's what it seems like. But, you know, at least, like... It feels like the the NDP has like a radical history and heritage, and it's moving away from that in a way to get votes. But it, it, they just keep eating shit when they do it, so they're like becoming centrist. I think you're hitting on something really important. Like, yeah, like even despite this history of the NDP, they are essentially like just picking these like poli sci grads out of university or something with master's degree who are just like massive lanyards who are totally mm. neolibs because like <laughs> people, people who like bring us briefcases to class people <laughs> like us are busy shit posting and making irreverent podcasts important irreverent podcasts <laughs> important irreverent. i agree yeah <laughs> uh, we <laughs> really depressing me so i feel like we should move on to the next super depressing thing that we have to talk about which is the swath of violence that's going on in the united states there have been over a dozen mass shootings in the past couple of weeks um some of it's racially motivated with the mass shooting in buffalo at the grocery store the the one that is sort of still in the news cycle now is the the school shooting in uvalde Texas, where a bunch of elementary school students were killed. I mean, we're in the United States talks about gun control again before getting distracted and doing nothing. And uh, this time does feel different. I feel like there's like a, a level of exhaustion to this conversation mm -hmm. that there hasn't been. But I don't know if that means that it's going to go anywhere. Um, what were your takeaways on that? You know, I, I mean, what what can anyone say? about gun violence in the states that hasn't been said before right like america is a violent society like uniquely so um and i mean i you know i think that what at least seems to be the increasing prominence of school shootings is 
I mean, I think a direct result of like the decay of the American empire that we're witnessing in motion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Sandy Hook happened in what, 2011? No, we've been at this for 10 years. And uh, I think Eric's right. I, like, yeah, there's a sense of exhaustion. Normally we move past it's, it's terrible to say we we move you know, move we move on from these school shooting stories or mass shooting stories fairly quickly. This one again feels just like a repeat. It's like it's an elementary school again. They're all children. This one's just sticking in the news cycle, and it, you know it's it's showing the Democrats' hand and showing how useless they are because the best that they've they've said is Joe Biden, who really has been in the White House for the past like he's been in power so many years of the past decade, and he's just saying, man, someone should do something, mm. man. <laughs> Yeah, like not like you have any power. Yeah, all they all they can do is eulogize. All they can do is make our you know feelings uh, heard and give us uh, the space you know to cry and all those sorts of things. Which you know I understand. I mean, it's very sad, but like it just it, the the recurring pattern keeps on happening over and over again. And the thing that's frustrating is like. You know, we're about to talk uh, about a column that is completely devoid of actual policy ideas or, you know, targeting what would actually do to, to fix the problem. But there's been other places where these problems have been addressed. I mean, Australia has had more of a gun culture uh, than the United States did, and they managed to buy back you know, millions of guns and, and change the culture and change the policy orientation around it. So it, it's... It's so simple, but like it's just it's just not happening. So I don't know. I mean, this is one of those issues that just kind of drives you crazy and makes you sad. And that Australian shooting that triggered those policy changes happened more or less the same time as the Columbine shooting. Mm -hmm. You can really just see the two diverging timelines. I think you're both hitting on on a really, really important point with the Democrats loving their Aaron Sorkin moments, right? Like this column that we're going to read is like a reaction to something that happened this past week where, you know, instead of announcing, you know, emergency policy or or any sort of enhanced restriction on gun registration or anything substantive, the White House brought in A-list celebrity Matthew McConaughey who is a, uh, he grew up in Uvalde, and so this is like a personal issue for him. However, uh, not everybody from Uvalde got to give a speech at the White House talking about why guns are bad. I feel like the United States is run by a bunch of Disney adults, where like their actual thing that they did was organize this speech to happen, and they can pat themselves on the back, and they can move on with their lives. Did any of you catch the McConaughey speech? Yeah, I, I caught some some clips, um, and there there were some interesting ideas there, and it was moving. And you know, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with what M- McConaughey d- did, but I mean, it's just like it's the apotheosis of like the shallow performative politics of the DNC. I was just saying in a sec, mm-hmm. like all we can do is eulogize. But you know what? This fucking geezer's run out of steam, and he can't even do eulogizing well anymore. So let let's just get an actor. Someone who can like really pull it off, um, and and we'll stick him there, and he'll he'll do the thing. It's like it, 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 they're outsourcing even their uh, performative politics at this point. <laughs> it's so oh, yeah. fucked That's up. A good point. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh my yeah, well, God. I think also it's worth noting that while, you know, the Republicans obviously are like beholden to the NRA, I mean, literally, uh, you know, it's almost comical that their solution is literally anything but make it harder to buy guns, right? Like, oh, uh, you know, schools should have less doors. Like, like you know, we should just turn <laughs> schools into prisons because, um, I mean, we're yeah, that, that stuff's setting so the up. kids up to wind up in prison anyways. But for the Democrats, I mean, what the fuck have they done? Nothing. They just use it as a fundraising opportunity to say, look how bad and scary these Republicans are. You should give us, and it's exactly what the Alberta NDP does too. Right. It's just like, oh, these conservatives are bad and scary, but also we agree with them on like everything, but you should give us money instead. Right. It's like Coke and Pepsi. It's, it's, <laughs> it becomes a complete branding exercise. Yeah. Seriously. At this point, the funding emails are it's it's like a slap in the face. Um, the Matthew, I'm not going to I just want to say I'm not going to begrudge Matthew McConaughey for going there and like yeah. doing this stuff. I thought it was very nice. I thought yeah. he said some good things, but yeah, it's, the, it's again, it's the same thing. It's not action. Totally. Yeah. So th- this was the speech um, where he's like, all right, all right, all right. Yeah. That's right? the one. That's, the, that's what he yeah, said. That's the famous <laughs> one. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, yes. So like he's a household name. I think that um, it kind of plays into the whole Republicans thing that, you know, Democrats are out of touch and they're the Hollywood party Mm. and they have disdain for the common person. And I honestly, I think they might have a point when they're talking about this because it shouldn't take um, a a very famous person to come and explain to you that uh, children getting shot is bad. You know, that's something that should be common sense. I feel like maybe I'm I'm. You know, common sense maybe i'm naive we should but... we should get some policies like this yeah. you, you know what guys it, it's funny uh, eric i would have said that but then this morning i've been uh, i've been reading matthew mcconaughey's terrible memoir but i've become uh, mcconaughey pilled because uh, i think he actually is kind of like you know we'll talk about this article which compares him to oprah and the rock Matthew McConaughey is a much better candidate for president because he actually combines like he's at the center of like three dominant cultural modes. He's got like a cowboy renegade, not PC kind of working class bootstrapping kind of thing going on. Like you read his his memoir. I'll I'll talk more about it. But all these like, you know, he's stealing shit. He's getting into fights. You know, he's a tough guy. Uh, But he's also got that like Jordan Peterson, Dr. Oz, motivational speaker kind of energy going that can get people and grifter energy that people can really sort of. He is a Peterson guy, right? Like, wasn't he on Jordan Peterson's daughter's podcast? Do I remember? He was on Peterson's podcast, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. But the third thing is that he's also a liberal elite. So, like, the woke globalist adrenochrome people might be cool with him. So he's kind of got all three. I think he could really pull the electorate together. And, I mean, a fourth thing that he is is he... He was Trip in the 2006 romantic comedy classic, Failure to Launch. And so, you know, that's an entire new demo that, you know, hasn't been reached by Biden. I don't think I'm reached by Trump. Um, who else has that sort of charisma? I enjoy yeah. him in the meme of him smoking, sometimes with a Photoshopped phone. Right. Oh, is that True Detective uh, season one? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, 
you're talking about troubled detective Rust Cole in season one of HBO's True Detective. <laughs> Did you know that, yeah. that show is fictional? <laughs> well, did you know that matthew mcconaughey was cooper in the space adventure film interstellar did you know that I in that uh graduate uh philosophy seminars we do deep exegesis <laughs> on his uh various existential rants in true detective really? no, interesting I'm, I'm completely no i'm joking okay. i mean uh, it wouldn't surprise me <laughs> it wouldn't be the weirdest thing I've seen in a university setting. <laughs> but the thing the, about the the rom coms—that's such a good point, Eric. I never thought of it because, like, didn't the wine moms like vote Trump? Like, can't the, like the the suburban wine moms will also get folded into the McConaughey program? It's perfect. Yeah, he, like you're thinking like this is going to be like super majority territory. <laughs> yeah. He's going to be able to make trucks <laughs> mandatory and. Make everybody wear a belt buckle with Texas on it. Like yeah, he's gonna have a lot of common sense policies like that. I like, can't wait. We should talk about the person who wrote this column because mm. I mean we've been talking a lot. We we haven't gotten to uh, the man of the hour really, Vinay Menon, who is a writer for the Toronto Star, and come across our purview once in a while. I remember a, a 2018 uh, profile he wrote, which was like effusive in his praise of jordan peterson it, it's really gross especially especially now yeah yeah he's uh, a peterson head i think he's or i don't think he's part of that orbit but he wishes he was he's also praised joe rogan i think he's realized that's how you get clicks is like a pop culture columnist you talk about like meaningless culture war bullshit and uh you know no one at the star respects you i'm sure but hey i I'm sure, I mean, he gets a paycheck at the end of the day. Mm. That's uh, more more than I can say, so. I feel like he does, like, a lot of, like, nice man columns. Like, he's just kind of, like, a smooth brain, naive kind of uh, positive thinking kind of guy. Like, you He's know, a dumb guy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, I, like, didn't he have a recent column that was about how, like, uh, Drake should donate money to Ukraine or something because he like sold a house. Like, oh man, uh, I cannot tell you how much I do not want to read that. <laughs> he also had a good take about how we need to ban horns. That was his uh, freedom convoy take. <laughs> we should... Like cars just shouldn't be allowed to have horns. <laughs> yeah, which would have no repercussions. To be fair, I mean, I don't have a car anymore, but when I did and it was in its like last days, the horn wasn't working and. <laughs> I mean, it was fine. I you know. I sent this uh this column to Gordon uh when we decided we were gonna do it and uh Gordon came back with a bunch of screenshots of uh headlines <laughs> that belonged to Vinay. And uh one of them was University Seminar warns about right handed privilege. Tell that to Southpaws, Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> oh my <Yeah>. god. <laughs> And the entire thing is about how left-handed people, maybe they're just better. Because I think right. Vinay is also left-handed. Does he I shop think... at the Leftorium? Yeah. I mean, maybe. I think that's a fictional store, though. Um, I, I just feel like that was like good context to provide to our listeners for the upcoming column, which is, I mean, I say the columns that we read are all-timers a lot, so I'm not going to say that. But... Uh, this one, this one is titled, After His Moving Speech on Gun Control, It's Time for Matthew McConaughey to Give Up Hollywood for Washington. Initial thoughts? 
All right, all right, all right. Right. <laughs> Uh, this looks like one of those kind of like trolling articles. It's like, oh, it's just like I'm going to flirt with an idea. You know, I don't really mean it. But it opens with Matthew McConaughey has a moral obligation to enter politics. <laughs> so this is serious. We're not just playing around. This isn't just it's like an entertainment gossip column. And then in addition to that, if you uh, check, in, check some of the hyperlinks, the star actually put together a poll about whether or not you agree <laughs> that Matthew McConaughey should enter politics. So, just for context, this is not a joke. <laughs> yeah. No, he's <laughs> What was the what were the results of the poll? I mean, cuz I I mean, I'd vote yeah, like why not? I, it's democracy. That's true. Let's run. Let's the be, let, let him participate in the battle of ideas and we'll, you know, made the best idea win. Has he said he wants to enter politics? McConaughey um, I'm unsure if Connor Mead in 2009's classic Ghost of Girlfriends Past <laughs> said he wanted to enter politics, but uh, I mean, he sold his health help book and he's now doing speeches at the White House. So, I mean, the door is open. <laughs> Guys, uh, I've, got, I've pulled up the results here. So, so okay, here, here are your, your options. Have your say. Do you think Matthew McConaughey should enter U.S. politics? The options are, yes, I respect his stance on gun control, and he is passionate about his community. Maybe I need to see his stance on other issues. All right. Like, I'm all, you know, I'm, I'm considering it, but I want to see his policy proposals. Um, I don't like it when actors transition into politics. Uh, I'm not sure or no, he wouldn't be a good politician. What, what, what are your gents' votes on this? <laughs> I, I've already forgotten the options. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm all in. Yeah. I'm all in for McConaughey. I'm in a phone bank for him. <laughs> well, number one, uh, with 57.57% of the vote, is yes. So the people have spoken. <laughs> he has nice. to run. It's legally binding. Internet polls are legally binding. Yeah. Especially Canadian internet polls. Right. American politics. Yeah. Like, sorry, don't make the rules. Can you believe that, though? Like, President Steve Edison from the 2001 film The Wedding Planner. Unbelievable. I think that's just an indictment of the kind of people who would respond to a Toronto Star poll in this article. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Star's it's had a couple weird days in the last little bit. I feel like we could do an entire episode on the future yeah, of that paper. Uh, it's and... having a normal one. Uh, yeah. It should log off. Hey, you know, you can lean right. You can lean left. Oh my god! As long as you lean in. Lean in. That one is right. That billboard's right beside my house. My god, <laughs> I love it. It's so good. <laughs> it makes me so mad every time I see it. <laughs> it's like, ah, uh, uh, whatever. Should we get to the column? I feel like we've talked about it a lot, but we haven't actually dove in. Let's do it. There's some gems in there. Yeah. He makes some very good points. Very <laughs> Hell yeah. So. Gordon, I know this is the first time on our show, but we usually let the guest read unless you have some reason that you would not like to, and we'd be happy to take it over. But uh, I can do it. I just, uh, I just, I can't promise a Texas accent, but I can do it. Um, <laughs> and I, I looked around for a cowboy hat uh, for this call, but unfortunately, I couldn't find mine. I'm sorry, gents. Uh, all right, I'm ready. You want me to start? Yeah. Yes, please. All right. All right. All right. Uh, Matthew McConaughey has a moral obligation to enter politics. I don't say that lightly, mostly because I fear a free world led by Oprah or The Rock. But McConaughey has flirted with public office. And on Tuesday, 
while delivering a White House proxy speech on gun control. His leadership bona fides were as obvious as neon Q-tips on black velvet. <laughs> I think if it was McConaughey versus The Rock in a primary, I would, I would actually, I would move my support to The Rock. But I feel like that would totally tear apart Texas because The Rock, mm. I think, is a longhorn as McConaughey is too. In fact, The the Rock has a Brahma Bull tattoo. You might have to fact check this if I'm getting it wrong, but I think they went to, uh, they, they like the same football team, so that could really, really cause problems. And you know what? Like the Rock, uh, the Rock actually played for the Stampeders for a bit. I think he. Uh, I don't know if he was like a, a starter, but he was on that team. So I mean, he he has the uh, the Northern voting contingent for the American election, which I mean the is Rock, the only thing I the mean, Toronto Stars. You cannot beat the Rock's level of charisma. Like, I mean, are we assuming they're Democrats? <laughs> yes, the Rock is almost assuredly a Democrat. Well, yeah. I, what do you think, Jeremy? Well, I think it doesn't matter what you think. <laughs> yeah, I, honestly, I I would predict a landslide just based on you know the Rock's jabroni-based policies. Didn't Ric Flair run for president in 2016? Ugh. I oh, wish. Man. Did he? Yeah, he's just like woo. <laughs> <laughs> he won every I debate. Do, I I if if memory serves, and I couldn't possibly be making this up. Rick Flair ran on a ticket with uh, Waka Flocka Flame. Oh, I think you might be right. Uh, yeah. In in the slogan was "Make America Woo Again." <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> no, I, I'm sorry. Listeners, look this up. You are <laughs> totally right. You're totally right. I, I can't tell you how many states they got on the ballot for. I would imagine. It's closer to zero than 50, but um, yeah, they did it. So, Well, I mean, I don't want to gloss over this one point as well, because I think Vinay was probably very proud of this uh, this phrase. Um, as obvious as neon Q-tips on black velvet. Um, nice work, Vinay. You know, good for you. I don't really get it, but it's, but it's fun. Uh, yeah, who is like Q-tipping black velvet i don't yeah <laughs> why a neon q-tip oh, q-tips are white they would be whoa 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 well black. it's pride month <laughs> that's okay. true marino and you should you should apologize actually okay, okay. sorry yeah. all right <laughs> gordon do you want to get back into it oh let's do it okay america our beloved neighbor to the south just no <laughs> oh. has a problem with gun violence mcconaughey oh native of Uvalde, Texas, was addressing last month's horrific mass shooting in the city after an 18-year-old with an AR-15 entered the Robb Elementary School and killed 19 children and two teachers. America, which averages more than one mass shooting per day, is trying to gaze into the cultural mirror and summon the courage for change. Oh, my God. The Disney adult <laughs> in this column is so... Uh, it really makes me uncomfortable. Going back to what we've established about Australia and like other places that have made policy changes, like what does it say about your culture that this is like you have to grapple with this? Where any 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 policy change could potentially immediately say. I mean the solution is do anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And like what they're doing is the opposite of anything. Again. <laughs> And so, like, I, I don't know, like, I'm at a loss. 
it's easy for us to criticize, but you, you got to understand one thing. It's not in their jurisdiction. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Uh, <laughs> making me so mad. <laughs> uh, by the way, I love this, like, uh, you know, they call in the business the positive phrase, America, our beloved neighbor to the south. So he's he's reminding us, just in case we weren't sure where America is situated, uh, and then what he's doing here is irony, because do we love America? Not sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, the jury's out. So, I, I mean, it's very much a love-hate relationship. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. Um, but, um, yeah, no, it was courteous of him to remind us uh, where the United <laughs> States is situated. Um, he goes on to go to say, this won't be easy. It may well be impossible. While other countries, including Canada, have high rates of gun ownership, what we don't have is gun culture. Yeah, never... yeah, we've all seen Bowling for Columbine. Yeah. <laughs> A great episode of fellow Harbinger show uh, replay on Bowling for Columbine that came out last week. I've never seen someone carrying a pistol in Toronto. You've never been to Eric's neighborhood. He's always packing. Um, I've seen lots of people (laughs) packing heat in America where a gun is as ho-hum as underwear or shoes. Um, I I love this one because I was imagining the American gun owner who doesn't wear underwear. Or shoes. (laughs) Just got guns on his feet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no shirts, no shoes, no underwear, no service, but guns okay in, in this establishment. <laughs> yes, um, yes. <laughs> there's a gun on your purse. There's a gun in your glove box. There's a gun on your nightstand. There's a gun in your holster as you dash out to 7-Eleven for milk and eggs. Okay, thanks, Dr. Seuss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck it. Like, one gun, two gun, red gun, blue gun, right? Like, it's... <laughs> This is like, like we get it, Vinay. There's a lot of guns there. There's some like flip flourishes that he uses. That, anyways, we'll 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 see them soon, guys. But we're about to get to the to the statistical weeds here. We're about to get some 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 deep sort of quantitative analysis of the nature of gun culture in America. So just just brace mm-hmm. yourself. Um, you know, I know I make an academic show. It's about to get a little academic. There might be some talks of regression, statistical analysis, that sort of stuff. We're going to get really complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll try my best. <laughs> there are more guns than people in America. Think about that. The country's firearms per 100 civilians metric is an estimated 120.5 what is a metric civilian? <laughs> like, what, what does that mean? It means like that, that, that to me is like, like that sounds like when Homer Simpson goes into like the 3D realm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, and honestly, just everyone like, he meets is a metric civilian. Yeah. And like, to be serious for a second, I feel like this is an issue that maybe shouldn't be quantified in, in a way that would reduce the humanity of the victims in these situations where they're just like, yeah, you know, like one, yeah, one metric civilian per this amount of days like it doesn't talk about the human being behind it and it also it makes it feel inevitable in this weird way that i i think is one untrue and i think two kind of ignores more of the underlying causes of what may inspire people to be 
shooting complete strangers uh, and and engaging in mass violence like this. Yeah, I mean, the problem is just the stats. The stats are so overwhelming. The metrics, the counts, the tables, the charts. I can't, I can't, I can't get a grip of it. <laughs> it's just, you know, yeah. just, it's um, the numbers, man. The numbers. <laughs> what we need to do is we need to, mo- we need to moneyball gun control. We need to come up with the <laughs> oh wins God. above replacement <laughs> gun control uh, <laughs> policy that can be be as efficient as possible because that's what the the technocrats at the DNC would would have us do. He, I mean, he should run for president, <laughs> Billy Bean. <laughs> he, that would be like he would. He's like the ideal Democrat. Yeah. Just the economy is down, but the slugging percentage is way up for yeah. the entire country. The problem is this country just keeps on bunting. And what we need to do is we need to get two or three walks in a row and yeah. then get some uh, meathead who can only hit home runs, hit it out of the park. I'm, I want the three-run three home run for America. <laughs> that would win. That's a good slogan. Three runs for America. Um, so we're, we're, we're almost through this really, really uh, dense academic section. So there's, there's more than double. They, the, the Americans' um, firearms per 100 civilians metric, you know, just, just so we're clear, is more than double the second most heavily armed country, Yemen. Oh, uh, why? Why is Yemen so heavily armed? Yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk about that's that? Why. Is that not? Oh, it's not in the column. Okay, never mind. Okay. He he has. Look, look a... let's not get bogged down in the details. They have a lot of guns. Nobody yeah. knows why. What's uh, important is Canada doesn't have a gun culture in any way. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're not making any money off of uh, a country that's buying weapons to then use in Yemen, are they? Is that... <laughs> That's not happening? Okay. No. <laughs> Definitely well, not. We just, we, well, we just sold Saudi some Jeeps, all right? Like, why, why <laughs> you got to bring gun culture into this? <laughs> okay. Jeremy, we, we don't have a Jeeps per chic metric here, so I, I don't know how to address that. Um, we don't have the data. We're going to have to convene a committee, get some PhDs. Maybe Billy Bean can be part of it. We'll figure it out. Once we do the calculations... We will know that selling uh, weapons to the Saudis may or may not be a problem, but jury's still out because we're not sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh crap. I, I lied. There's more stats. America, which has roughly 5% of the global population, owns more than 40% of the private firearms. It's a nice proviso there, private firearms. I yeah. wonder... <laughs> uh, it's, it's a public bonkers. utility in some countries. Sorry, go ahead. I keep interrupting. No worries. No worries. It's bonkers. That's the sentence. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is the analysis that you're supposed to lean into that the Toronto Star keeps talking about. Like They're like, lean into it's bonkers. This is the stuff that we're we're getting from the Toronto Star. Can you imagine if Canada owned 40% of, say, I don't know, the world's Frisbees? <laughs> that's, you know that's a reference. That's like a, a, an Easter egg for his buddy, John Kay. <laughs> what, do they play like froth together? 
what i mean that's all like when john k is not talking about people's like skull sizes and like how trans people are scary he's probably posting about frisbee golf like it's like he's like i mean it checks out like it it just it ruined frisbee golf for me because like it seems like a fun game but it's so grim that like he could legitimately be trying to like write a little thing about uh or just to give like a little nod to his buddy Jono. i don't know if they're like actually friends though are they well they hate they hang out in the same orbit with like jordan peterson and all these like weirdos like i like because remember when uh there's that hit piece on desmond cole that no one gave a shit about? yeah and john k was like posting like there's this dynamite piece on Desmond Cole and the impact of his activism on the black community coming out in the star this weekend. And it's like, well, who fucking leaked that to him? Um, I mean, maybe it was Rosie DeMano. Old friend of the show. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Or, right? I mean, there are only a handful of chuds at the star i mean most of their pundits are like annoying liberals but i don't know huh so yeah. so like annoying liberals we know what they do for fun they have like adrenochrome chrome child diddling parties like that's well established <laughs> Um, and that's a good time. I mean, who who could resist, right? Um, <laughs> but you you guys are telling me that the whole like john k um jordan peterson contingent of people like in their spare time what they do is frisbee oh my god yeah well so that john <laughs> k posted a uh, photo of his desk one time because he was trying to prove a point that he reads books from all all sorts of people and he had some dumb book and then he had a biography of Karl Marx, and he's like, "See, I read, I read communist literature, which is like, not, that doesn't make any sense." But uh, if you look at his bookshelves, it's just they were packed with frisbees and board <laughs> games, and I just, I just had to respond with, uh, "This is the desk of a serial killer." <laughs> um, John K. Gacy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he's a weird creep. I don't like him. Yeah. Maybe we actually do have a high frisbee to civilian metric, but it's just that John K <laughs> yeah. has them all. So like the he's hoarding frisbees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, he opens his front door and just frisbees fall out. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, the the best writers, what they do is what they tr- what they try and make you inhabit a world. Like they paint you an image, you know, like a metaphor or something, but better yet, like a scene. So you can embody their ideas and really come to know and feel what it means that they're talking about. And so here um, he goes on to say, if we did have a 40, 40% of the world's Frisbees in Canada. <laughs> 40% of like, like what, what would it be? Would it be a uh, Frisbees per 100 civilians yeah. metrics would be, would, would be, anyways. There, there would be, I mean, okay, just, I, I know this is going to be tough. Like, let's do the stats here. So the, the yeah. civilian to Frisbee conversion is, is 120 to 100. So that means there's four of us. We have five Frisbees, okay? Five and a half, maybe. Mm. In that world, if we were to walk through the park, we would be ducking every five seconds, he goes on to say, because <laughs> Frisbees would just be flying all over the place. <laughs> can we can we please remember the fact that this 
is a column about a speech made about a school shooting. Like, and he's just like, he's like doing math about frisbees. Yeah. Like, he could have used. Well, but that's saying all these fucking libs with their gun control don't even think about how many people die from frisbee accidents a year. I mean, like, what? We're going to ban frisbees? Yeah, that's true. That's true. I didn't think about that. Um. Yeah. <laughs> also, I mean, what better way to uh, deal with the scourge of frisbee violence than to shoot them out of the air? Like, let's have both guns and frisbees. That's right. Skeet shooting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There we go. The be- A good compromise. <laughs> McConaughey likes compromise. He's kind of like a, a guy who... Who likes common sense solutions, right? Yeah. But McConaughey didn't get into the statistical weeds. Oh, good. I hate <laughs> statistical weeds. <laughs> I wish the writer didn't. Because that's what we were just doing. We were doing this really complex, you know, statistical regression analysis. I know it was really over all of our heads. We got into the weeds, but we had to. Um, About that's, frisbees. Yeah. <laughs> that's why his speech was so powerful. The actor flipped the script and poignantly backed into gun control by focusing on the victims and the systemic insanity. Okay. (laughs) The writer should have done that, maybe. Perhaps. I don't know. I don't want to edit. I shouldn't be editing. (laughs) This one drives me crazy because isn't this what we've been doing since... What, 2000 and when was Columbine? We've always been focusing on the victims. All we've been doing is eulogizing the victims. How is this any fucking different? Like, yeah, I want to I want to I want to go back even just to like how he even just starts the entire premise of the con the the column and how he starts it. Matthew McConaughey has a moral obligation to enter politics. There are already the Democrats are in power. Like there are people that people in power have a moral obligation to stop children from being slaughtered is what I would say. But yeah, let's keep saying let's like, what's it going to take? Eventually you have to stop vocally demanding things. Well, as Michael Moore points out in Bowling for Columbine, like it's kind of hard to, for America to crack down on violence at home when it's committing and glorifying it abroad. Right. Like, there's such an obvious like inconsistency there. I think it's a good point. Um, Gordon, do you want to jump back into this one? Sure. He talked about driving to Uvalde the day after the massacre and meeting with families. He got emotional and held up photos and talked about the shattered dreams of slaughtered children. One little girl wanted to be a marine biologist. Another wore green Converse high tops with a heart scribbled on the right toe to symbolize her love for the environment. Another was planning to read a biblical verse, Deuteronomy 6 5. Like, book 6, uh, you know, my Catholic training has completely, uh, completely left me here. Let's, does... Yeah, you got uh, book 6, verse 5. Oh my God, I'm going to get so much hate. Um, at her next church oh, meeting. Okay. Is that the one? Do, does he say what it is? Uh, yeah, it is. But she never got. Oh no, he doesn't read it. But she never got to read it. Service is on a Wednesday night. What? It's uh, in thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Yeah, the other one just says might is strength. It's a pretty standard translation, it seems. Yeah, I mean, they use the same Deuteronomy as everyone else, presumably. Hmm. 
McConaughey didn't just leave flowers or send thoughts and prayers. He and his wife, Camilla Alves, spent time with those affected by this tragedy, from grieving parents to mortuary cosmetologists tasked with trying to prepare tiny bodies devastated with ghastly exit wounds for open casket viewings. Oof. It's like it's it's legitimately horrifying thinking about the fact that these these people's lives are ruined forever. It really is, but I when I think of in the grand scheme of things what Matthew McConaughey being there is going to do for the country, the state of the country, mm-hmm. the material conditions that they live in. Like what what does it do? Yeah. Like I'm sorry this is like why do we need again why do we need an actor to come in and do this if i was like so i'm trying to put myself in the shoes of the situation and like may i don't mean to dismiss his like act of kindness yeah but it would be really weird if like someone i knew was involved in a school shooting and freaking like ryan reynolds was there or something like hey man i know this is a tough time it would just be like okay thanks ryan yeah. reynolds i yeah like I'd rather be talking to a therapist right now, like someone maybe trained to deal with this grief. I don't know. Like, it's just, it's not like his job to do this. I'm saying it's nice that he did it, but like, it's not like it really isn't his obligation. No, I mean, to, to his credit, I mean, he, he's from there and he's like Mm -hmm. really kind of showing up for his community. And that's that's true. Nothing we can like, I got nothing but kind things to say about that, but, like that's not what's happening. He's speaking at the White House. I mean, yeah, it's just yeah. becoming a, a publicity stunt for the DNC and the president. It's in lieu of of actual action. I mean, that's that's the problem, not what the mm. actor's doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's like that's the point that I'm trying to get across. But I'm you know terrible at speaking, which is like good because I'm on a podcast. But like, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, like this kind of action, if nothing is done to curb the systemic violence in the country and the unfettered access to guns, um, this is virtue signaling. This is that thing that people like to talk about, you know, on the internet, saying that, oh, all you guys do is virtue signal. This is, that's what this is. It's like, oh, we wish things were better, but there's nothing we can do. So here's a nice speech. Mm -hmm. He goes on to say, in the last month, you've probably heard Democrats talk about banning guns. You've also heard Republicans talk about the constitutional right to bear arms. This is an intractable impasse. But what McConaughey, a gun owner himself, did was deftly split the difference by pointing out the common sense measures would benefit both sides of this oddly polarizing issue. We need background checks, he said. We need to raise the minimum age to purchase an AR-15 rifle to 21. That's gun control. That's like not splitting the difference, Vinay. <laughs> That's literally taking a side. Um, it's, we also I mean, should probably defund the police so um, they don't fucking uh, sit outside the school for an hour while people are in there dying. Um, yes. But for these guys, that's actually a reason to give police more money. So Because, you know, if you give them more money, then they won't. Have any Democrats... In with like legitimate power or sway in the in the in the party, 
talked about outright banning guns because to me it just seems like they haven't said anything more than like oh we we should implement common sense measures but we can't or man someone should do something didn't beto o'rourke running in texas just be like yeah i want to take your guns and uh yeah he was (laughs) i mean i haven't followed the the issue closely but the house i mean they passed a bill that raised the minimum age and had some red flag laws, I think maybe, or maybe it didn't, but like, it was not, we're taking all of the guns. Like, I don't know exactly what he's talking about. Like they are doing the centrist thing. It's not gonna, that isn't even gonna pass, but they're doing the centrist thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, maybe he's splitting the difference between the center and the right with like a center right thing. But like, that's what is like being presented. Like he's, he is advocating for the Democrats plan. I think basically what he's saying is like, this guy's a cowboy, like this guy's a Texan, this guy culturally presents in a lot of ways as conservative. You know, in his book, he talks about growing up conservative and becoming liberal, that being like the trajectory. (laughs) (laughs) So I think he's splitting sort of like cultural differences for sure, which which is why I think he he actually does kind of make for the perfect uh, candidate for our culture wars. Yeah, yeah, he is a culture war candidate, right? And it's completely like he's like a vibes based Texan, <laughs> right? Like that's ah, oh, it's so funny, so surface yeah, level too. He goes on to say, "Oh yeah, ah, uh, 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 yeah, ah, <laughs> uh, yeah." I don't know. That's the sentence. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh uh, yeah, that's the end of the quote. Yeah. <laughs> How is that? Eighteen-year-old in Texas can't legally order a beer, but can buy a weapon of war. You need to pass training and testing to ride a motorcycle or pluck eyebrows in a salon setting, but you can wander into a gun show and buy an M16 rifle and hundreds of rounds of ammo like you're ordering McNuggets. You can't renovate your porch without a permit, but you can stockpile firearms to mow down an entire postal code. Is this dude paid by the word? (laughs) Like, why did he three meta? Like, we get it. Three metaphors. We get it, Benny. Yeah. You get a gun very easily in the United States. And How many people live in a postal code? Like 20,000? <laughs> like, what kind of fucking gun is mowing down 20,000 people? You, you need, like, the U.S. Uh, Air Force and their uh, patrons in Yemen to do that, which, you know, <laughs> side note, <laughs> we don't talk about that. But yeah, that, that's how you it. mow down a postal code. <laughs> yeah. It's It's like a really really bad uh metaphor right because like an entire postal code is either like a household or if you're looking at the three numbers then it's like an entire city block and so like i mean um also i just like to point out that i think they call them zip codes in the united states actually (laughs) that's good that's a good voice i like that it's a good editor voice actually it's my reddit voice yeah that's good all right let's let's get back into this thing As McConaughey continued, we need a waiting period for those rifles. We need red flag laws and consequences for those who abuse them. These are reasonable, practical, tactical regulations. Responsible gun owners are fed up with the Second Amendment being abused and hijacked by some deranged individuals. These regulations are not a step back. They're a step forward for a civil society and, and... The Second oh. Amendment. Oh, 
Oh, we all love the Second Amendment, folks, don't we? We all love. It. I love. Uh, I love tactical regulations. Me too. I love we, that one. If we can make the regulations tactical, they'll be appealing to gun owners. Um, it reminds me of a tweet that went like viral this week about some some like I think conservative pundit or something was talking about his tactical Honda. <laughs> See, th- this is what he means by splitting the difference, right? Because if you're appealing just to libs, you'll say like evidence-based policy reform, and that just makes you cream, right? If like you have all the the the, the um, accolades and the and the degrees. But if you want to get someone uh, on board with big government, what you need to do is sell it with operator culture. This yeah. is a tactical policy reform, you know. It's <laughs> carpet, carpet bombing policy changes. Yeah, yeah. Lean so back, you can destroy. get it done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> it's... Like, I wish it wasn't this stupid, but, like, it is. It's it's literally this. And it, ugh, it's hurting me, Gordon. He's right. America will never sleepwalk away from its animating gun culture. But after the Uvalde mass murder, it can at least wake up to the possibility of reducing the carnage. An 18-year-old human does not even have a fully formed brain. Recklessness and impulse control are issues. Just ask auto insurance companies. Why anyone at any age needs an AR-15 is something I will never grasp. But at least we can keep the killing machines away from teens. Oh, I'm I'm really mad at um, blaming. Like in that last graph, Vinay kind of blames mass shootings on like, recklessness and impulse control which i think is is a deep misunderstanding of the you know misanthropic inspired violence Mm -hmm. that a mass shooting is right like it's these people are not just doing this impulsively it isn't flipping an atv right like it's it's a little bit worse than that it's someone who's trying to do the worst possible thing that they can possibly do and this is i mean i i kind of wanted to save this to the end but i really think that the liberal understanding of what gun control is is partially attacking a symptom of the issue mm-hmm. right i think gun control is good i should be clear that i think gun control should happen in the united states because it's fucked up that teenagers can get assault weapons i think that's not good i think that's very obvious however i think taking the guns away doesn't prevent people from wanting to commit these acts of violence, which I think is a deeper issue that has not been addressed at all. It is something that nobody wants to talk about. Uh, we don't want to talk about the material conditions that these people are living in before they act, decide to act out in this specific way. What is inspiring people to commit these acts of violence? And yeah. why are we not asking these questions like obvious stuff like i'm not an expert on the topic but they're all like there there's a there's a through line of like incel culture mm-hmm. and like there's a, a consistent like wom- like hatred of women yeah i think like there was a statistic i read that nearly all of the mass shootings basically begin with them shooting a female family member yeah and these are conversations that are just not brought up or very like oversimplified as like, oh, like the systemic issues. And like maybe they think that just to mean 
the fact that you can get a gun very easily. But yeah, no, it, it's it's more than that. This is what liberals always do. You pathologize every social problem. Whenever anything goes wrong, you explain, ah, there's some defect. They're acting this way because there's something wrong in their brain. There's some there's something going on that we need to contain with sensible, smart, centrist reform. Not, oh, the patriarchy that you were discussing. Not the imperialism that's coming home to mm -hmm. roost. Not the... I mean, talk about the Buffalo shooting. That guy was rational. Like his, he had, like, it was a hateful screed. It was mm -hmm. awful. It was terrible, but it was really well thought out. It was not just a simple case of a guy kind of flying off the handle. He knew exactly what he was doing. And that's what's so scary. Not the like, oh, the unhinged kind of like, oh, the little something's wrong in his brain, auto insurance. Yeah, no. lone wolf, you know, he was a loser. He didn't have friends at school, right? Like yeah. it's, that was like a cerebral cold act of violence and it was plotted, which I think, I think we need to talk about. Um, because, I mean, that guy, if he didn't have access to guns, he would have a van like Alec mm -hmm. Manassian in Toronto. Mm. Um, it, it's beyond the short-term solution, which is gun control. I'm sorry, this is now me like trying to show that I'm a better politician than Matthew McConaughey. Uh, beyond the short-term solutions, which I think involves you know preventing people getting access to killing machines... There needs to be a long-term solution. We need to prevent people from wanting to act out in this way. And I think that that's, I mean, a process of de-radicalization in the increasingly fascist mm -hmm. United States and Canada. Oh, I agree 100%. I mean, gun control is harm reduction, and I like harm reduction. But it's, mm -hmm. it, it's not the underlying cause of, you know, what exactly is is going on here you're totally right i mean if it wasn't a gun it'd be something else and even if you didn't have something else i mean the fact that these ideas exist that he could you know be so sort of socially dislocated that he could act in this way and i mean these are all problems um horrible horrible, horrible problems but i we have a solution it, it is common sense centrism because <laughs> matthew, <laughs> because matthew mcconaughey is a rare creature these days a centrist. <laughs> he is neither left nor right. Finally. Oh yeah. He he is the perfect uh, you know a totem of a, of the star uh, reader, right? I mean, he he doesn't go left or right or whatever. He leans in. Um, in. Is he forward? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> always twirling towards freedom. <laughs> Ugh. Fuck me. He goes issue by issue and lets common sense dictate his thinking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so mad. I'm so mad that that made me this much happier. Because like it was like the, I brought the mood down by yelling about you know serious things, and then Vinay just brought it right back up, and he got me. <laughs> this is what America needs now more than ever. <laughs> <laughs> Leaders who can find solutions to problems. <laughs> Not leaders who only care about playing footsies with their base. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the people in power in the states, the Democrats, are really aligned with their base. They're doing everything that their base wants them to do. It's true. That's, a, that's sarcasm. Yeah. Oh, oh. Obviously. Thank you. Dear uh -oh. listeners, 
I'm very sarcastic often, but I, I like to make things clear sometimes. Yeah. Uh, like, I had I had no idea that centrism didn't exist anymore. I thought it's, we were, like, slouching towards a communist revolution right now. Like, I don't know. It's yeah. just yeah. news to me. Like, oh. <laughs> you know, it's really communist a Joe Biden. To have someone who, um, it, you know, isn't on the left, isn't on the right, and just sort of uh, just goes with their gut just um has you know you never know you never know what they're gonna say finally on, a politician on, on who wants to maintain the status quo i think it's like it's a new innovative idea <laughs> that we should try we should try it out we need leaders who can slice through the partisan rage and the intellectual dishonesty not leaders who cravenly amplify the dysfunction matthew mcconaughey is a gifted actor. He could be an even better politician. <laughs> That's it, folks. Mic drop. <laughs> I fucking hate this thing so much. <laughs> like, oh. What a pointless <laughs> article. <sighs> I, and, like, I mean, I know I'm not supposed to expect better from the Toronto Star. I Like, I know. I, I'm 30 years old. I should know this stuff. I'm still disappointed. I'm, I'm like mad that he got paid to write this because this feels like fan fiction about Matthew McConaughey. Like he was no, that's literally what it is. Mm-hmm. That's literally what it is. I think someone wants to play footsies here with uh, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Gordon, you uh, so kindly read his uh, memoir. Are there any highlights from it? Oh, absolutely. We could do an entire other podcast on this. This is a tour de force. It's called Greenlight. Um, and basically, it's like a memoir slash kind of 12 rules for life, except the rules are, are traffic lights. Uh, you know, you decide what, what it is. You get, a, you get a red, you get a yellow, you get a green. You know, Ugh. just like figure out the vibes. And you, know, you might be thinking, okay, well, what is, what is a green light? What is a red light? Well, these are the signals that... Um, kind of teach you how to um, navigate the Audubon of life. It's how <laughs> university, it's how the universe tells you where to go. And and th- this is, this is like right in the beginning. And you know, it falls apart right from the start because the Audubon doesn't have fucking traffic lights. <laughs> <laughs> He's never been to Germany. He's never been to- <laughs> but whatever. Okay. You're going to have traffic lights. They're going to tell you where to go and what to do. And basically, this guy, like, it's just garden variety stoicism. It's all just about, like, reading the room and the vibes and, like, the universe itself dictates to you what you can and cannot do. So if you want, like, you know, radical change, like, you know, really big, aggressive uh, gun reform or universal health care ending imperialism red light folks the universe is going to give you a red light so you have to wait for the right kind of signals uh... that's kind of his thing right his whole thing is about just going with the flow and this is why i actually think that he's kind of perfect for for these these times because he he has all these anecdotes just about things not going right and then all he does is really kind of pollyannishly kind of say, oh, it's all right. You know, I'm just going to do it anyways. I'm going to learn a lesson. Um, 
So, <laughs> uh, do, do you guys want? Do you guys want to hear a little bit? I, I pull. I pulled some sections. If if you want to hear, yeah, yeah, of course, absolutely. Okay. The first thing to say is he's a total grifter. He claims it so many times in his book. He actually tells on himself so many times. He has this one anecdote about how he he just plagiarized a poem in like grade school and like got really high grades, and that's how he learned. Um, to, like to be his parents were grifters they did all these like frivolous lawsuits um he, he would steal <laughs> shit uh and the oh key like the kind of um wh what do you call like the like the the end of the first act the inciting incident like what he finds that really sets him on his journey is he finds a book called the greatest salesman in the world so that that is Matthew McConaughey. He's he's fully a grifter, uh, and embraces it. So he's, he's that's just who he is. Anyway, so he goes through these stories, these little things that happen. He he has an exchange in Australia, and I won't bore you with all the details. But basically, he spends a year with like effectively an abusive family, like at least emotionally abusive. Like the mother like does this weird game where he, she wants Matthew McConaughey to kiss the girlfriend of her son like it, like in his like in their face like like on the lips and like this is a whole thing at family dinner that is extremely he, weird he he she wants him to call her mom and when when he doesn't shit hits the fan anyways i won't bore you all the details the people in the community think that the the family is insane and he has this like complete mental breakdown um and basically what he decides is instead of like, you know, being put in a really bad situation and, and leaving, he made a promise so he's going to stay. And this is where like he develops his like stoic mentality. And he says, that year planted the seeds of a notion that continues to guide me. Life's hard. Shit happens to us. We make shit happen. To me, it was inevitable that I was staying the entire year because I'd shaken on it. I'd made a voluntary obligation with myself and there was no going back. So I got relative. <laughs> I denied the reality that the Dooleys, that's the family, were off their rocker. It was a crisis. I just didn't give the crisis its credit. I treaded water until I crossed the finish line. I persisted. I upheld my father's dignity. And while I was going crazy, I kept telling myself there was a lesson. I was put there to learn. There was a silver lining to all of this. I needed to go through hell to get on the other side. Uh, blah, blah, blah. You know, basically, that's that's the whole thing. Like, you just kind of go with the flow. You learn. You, it doesn't matter if the world's on fire and this family's abusing you and doing weird sex games. It's okay. <laughs> just ignore I, it. The, Pretend it's not this happening. Really, um, it's really revealing as to why uh, Jordan Peterson resonates with him, right? Not just in terms of, like, everything is awesome, the status quo is great, um, but also the, like the weird, like family sexual dynamics. It's very, uh, <laughs> Peter Peterson esque. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it also, the way that he, he just kind of stuck through it actually reminded me of, uh, you know, his, his starring role as Ben in how to lose a guy in 10 days. I don't know if you remember that movie, you guys. I saw it on an airplane. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It was a yeah, who could forget <laughs> Who can forget? Um, <laughs> this guy's gonna be president. It's gonna yeah. happen. Like we're 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 just gonna deal with him we're pretending that the how, economy how to, how to is end collapsing. A school shooting in ten days, right? 
Was he? Oh no, sorry. I was thinking of ten things I hate about you. <laughs> no. Well, he was. I know you didn't movie. ask this, but he was Hank from the podcast series short Hank the Cow Dog, um, which I think you should all check out. Um, I think I he was that. a cow dog. Um, I haven't watched it yet or listened to it yet, but we support podcasts on this podcast. That column was dog shit, and I feel like I'm trying to forget about it. So typically at this part of the show, we like to talk about things that we read or watched or did in the last little bit that we would like our audience to know. So I'm going to pass it over to Jeremy first, and then we'll give Gordon a little bit of time to think about things that he could recommend uh, in our plugs and recs segment. Uh, I actually, this is pretty lame, but I, uh, I started reading Gulliver's travels um, the other day. Cause I respect uh, it. Yeah, I want to know what this whole Swiftian satire thing is about. And it's really good. It's really fucked. <laughs> Which, <laughs> you know. But, um, yeah, I recommend it. Just in general, reading the class, going back, reading the classics. Because, I mean, they're classics for a reason. Um, so there's that. Also, new season of The Boys is out. Uh, great show. Really dark look into uh, superhero culture. And, uh, you know, what if superheroes were real? And it turns out they would be uh, fucking uh, corporate controlled psychopaths. Um, so that's a great show. Uh, on Amazon Prime, uh, sponsor of uh, the Big Shiny Takes Institute. Um, oh, and also a little teaser, little teaser for the listeners. I am working on a book. Oh. I will let everyone know what it's about the moment it is accepted. All right, Gordon, over to you. Okay, I've, I, I got a, I got a couple of things. I mean, this, there's this one show called Darts and Letters, which is about the politics of academia and expertise. I think it's it's all right. Um, <laughs> but I was also listening. I was talking about Moneyball. I was listening to Michael Lewis's new podcast about the politics of expertise and why we don't trust experts. Um, and it's like, unironic. It's it's uh, brilliant if you read it ironically, in that it is like a perfect encapsulation of the like myopia of liberal technocratic sort of expertise mediated politics. Because just listen to the first episode. All you need to do. The first episode is about uh, some tech bros who create an algorithm to like streamline billing in healthcare insurance companies. Oh no. And they find this woman who like worked for Aetna or something, who like has this knowledge of the various ways these really labyrinthian Byzantine like billing codes work. So she's an expert, right? And we are meant Ooh. to like adore her, even though she shouldn't fucking exist. Like this, sh <laughs> but at, at no point <laughs> does the does the does the podcast ever think about like you know health justice or you know uh, universal health care or any kind of policy or bigger kind of ambition that would make this this system more rational. What they do is they think, oh, let's find the person that is the best expert in the billing codes, then create an algorithm that systematizes her knowledge so that hospitals can bill faster. And that, my friends, oh. is the nature of expertise. 
That sounds like some like like Malcolm Gladwell, uh, yeah. like Stephen Pinker <laughs> shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he's Was part- Michael Lewis on Epstein's plane? <laughs> Don't know. Don't know. Uh, probably. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> There's no way of knowing. Almost for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing I, I recommend, it's kind of similar. Listen, the, the latest episode of The Dig was really good. It had this, um, I think she's a political scientist or maybe a historian. She wrote a book called uh, Left Behind, and it is about kind of the intellectual and politi- political trajectory of the Democratic Party. Uh, and basically it argues like, they weren't inept, like when they became sort of the Atari Democrats, the Clinton Democrats, the Third Way Democrats. Um, this was not just like them being like short-sighted or inept. It was also not just like cold, calculated uh, political kind of maneuvering. They had a, like a very coherent ideological project to reframe and and change government. Like they really did want to kind of outsource. Um, government services, government itself would just basically be an agent to like synergize private solutions. Um, and it's, I think sometimes we think of it as just like them like being opportunist or like kind of stupid, uh, but there's a coherent ideology there. So I, I really like that that episode. The book seems cool. Very, very cool. Uh, Marino? Uh, I've been uh, kind of busy recently. <laughs> uh I'm not going to disclose much more than that because I'm doing a bit of a uh, two-face sort of uh, split lives kind of thing. But I've been reading a lot for as part of a new endeavor that I'm part of. Uh, Insiders will know what I'm talking about. Uh, But in terms of personal reading, I'm trying to get back into it. I was reading some comic books. Uh, I read The Death of Doctor Strange, which I would highly recommend more than either of the movies as an introduction to the character. It is sort of like getting back to reading like the Jakarta method, which I'm just like at the beginning parts of. Uh, Other than that, I've been watching a lot of Seinfeld and 30 Rock. I think Seinfeld's finally just starting to click now that I'm in my 30s and have some sort of like adulting experience for lack of a better term you know there's a great podcast about adulting we all know this is adulting uh is this adulthood is yeah, this you adulthood? don't even listen mm. to it oh wow what this and it's you know, over it's... it ended thank you for reminding me i like that podcast but that's it for me eric uh oh i gotta say i think i, I... I, I'm gonna uh, disclose Marino's secret. I know because I saw the what's keeping him busy is he's joined Jonathan's case Frolf team. I saw him yeah. in the park. <laughs> he's just like not inviting you guys because <laughs> you know because because Barbara knows who you are, Jeremy. So it would just make things kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. yeah, that's my rec- that's my recommendation for this week. My first, at least this week, is uh, if you're Barbara K, sue Jeremy, you coward. Yeah, you threatened yeah. to do Honestly, it in the DMs. I, I, I'm, I'm waiting for uh, paperwork in the mail. So put up your shop, Babs. <laughs> so I do have a couple recommendations. Um, other than darts and letters, uh, great podcast. Everyone should listen to it. There's a good team working on that. Um. There's a couple podcasts that I'm uh, I'm a part of these days that I think you guys should check out. I mean, one, Big Shiny Takes. We all love Big Shiny Takes. You're listening to an episode right now. I think you should listen to more episodes. And then tell your friends about those. Yeah, go into the archives. If there's an episode you haven't heard, 
Yeah, listen, listen to, to all it. of them. Listen to them at before the same you time. listen to any other podcasts. Yeah, uh, except for darts and letters. Uh, there are two other podcasts I'm working on these days. Uh, one of them is called Short Circuit. It's the podcast done by The Hoser, which is a local journalism outfit out in Toronto. It's a show about labor, housing, and food security in the city of Toronto, and it's very good. We're working on a new episode. It's going to be all about the election and all the good things that happened in the election. I'm just kidding. It was really bad. Um, So that episode's going to be coming out in the next little bit. Uh, Keep watching for that. And then... uh, I'm also the producer on Tech Won't Save Us these days, and uh, I feel like if you like tech journalism, you should listen to Paris's show, because it is very, very, very good. And I am on the next episode being all shy and happy because I got picked to be the producer. And that's funny and embarrassing for me. So give that a listen to. What's Paris like as a boss? Um, much nicer than you and Marino. You guys yell at me more. <laughs> good. Respect. <laughs> <laughs> all right well i guess i guess that's the end of the episode i yeah. like this one ran a little long but it was so much fun all the way through despite the fact it was a little long. i think uh, this is average we've just been on call a little long yeah. we started at a reasonable time thanks for the green light boys keep on living that's no g on that because because living is a verb i'm gonna go i'm gonna go take a nice leisurely drive in my lincoln <laughs> oh hell yeah before we go I do have to recommend one more podcast. Uh, I'm doing a collaboration with Jody from Imperial News, and we are it's called Bad Books by Bad People. And we are going through Ezra Levant's Shakedown, which is a retelling of his time where he took on the Canada Human Rights Commission. Um, And it is horrible. It is such a tough read, but Jody is so much fun. And we are going to release it to our bonus feed and it's also on the imperial news bonus feed so you should check it out if you have the chance let's get back to mcconaughey bits and then let's say goodbye bye (laughs) (laughs) bye bye it's being shiny takes the only anti-free speech podcast being shiny takes reading garbage for your brain it's being shiny takes with Jeremy, Eric, and Marino. Being shiny takes are sure to entertain. Are sure to entertain. <laughs>